The following audio is from Hope Hill Church. To learn more about Hope Hill Church, please visit hopehillchurch.org. So a couple weeks ago, we started this journey through the Gospel of John. John is a little different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're known as the four Gospels in the New Testament. They are snapshots of the life of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the Synoptic Gospels. In a lot of ways, you get history, you get some geography, you get some background about who Jesus was, where he lived. And, uh, but John gives us an intimate picture of the person of Jesus. John, who wrote the book that we're going to be studying over the next year, um, was one of Jesus' closest, most intimate friends. And there are stories that John's going to share with us that aren't captured in the other Gospels that really show us the heart of our Savior. Uh, today we're going to talk about how loving he is, how forgiving he is, how full of grace and mercy and truth that he is. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he is a God who loves each and every one of you. Uh, today uh, we're going to cover the verses John 14, uh, excuse me, John chapter 1, verse 14 through 18. But before we go there, i got a quick question for you. How many of you have read Seven Habits of a Highly Effective Person? individual, whatever the title is. How many of you read that book? Stephen Covey. Uh, For those of you who have read it, um, you know that there's a part where he talks about um, two different mindsets that we can have in this world. As human beings, there are two different mindsets. One mindset will set us up for success. The other mindset will set us up for failure. One is called the scarcity mindset, and one is called the abundance mindset. And And the way they break down is like this. If you have an abundance mindset, You approach life going, you know what, there's so many great opportunities. Uh, If you win, I win. If our team wins, we all celebrate together. The scarcity mindset, on the other hand, looks at life in limits. Like, you know, there's only so much to go around, so I better do what I got to do to get mine before I miss out. You get what I'm saying? And many times if our culture promotes this scarcity mindset, we, we live in a world where I got to do all I can, step on whoever I got to step, climb whatever ladder I got to climb to get to the top. If I don't look out for me, no one else is going to look out for me, and I'm going to lose, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to miss out if I don't put myself first. And if we take that kind of mindset into what we think about God, it totally distorts a proper view of who God is. God is above all, and God loves all. Nobody can outsin God. We're going to learn today that God's grace knows no bounds and no ends. There is grace upon grace. And my hope is that your heart is open to receive that truth, that regardless of how you feel you are in your walk with God or whether you even think you know God or not, I want you to hear today that God loves you and you are not too far from Him. No matter what you've done in your life, He is there to love you and to reach out to you and to help you to experience life the way that he has called you to experience it. So let me open up our passage by reading, first of all, from Stephen Covey, and then we're going to look at the Word of God. Stephen Covey in his book says, The scarcity mentality is the zero-sum paradigm of life. People with a scarcity mentality have a very difficult time sharing recognition and credit power or profit, even with those who help in the production. They also have a very hard time being genuinely happy for the success of others. The abundance mentality, on the other hand, flows out of a deep inner sense of personal worth and security. 
it is a paradigm that is that there is plenty. There's plenty out there and enough to spare for everyone. It results in the sharing of prestige, of recognition, of profits, of decision-making. It opens possibilities, opens options, alternatives, and creativity. In our life with God, we want you to understand that that's what John is saying, that there is enough for everyone. Jesus came to show us that he is enough. He is, Jesus is enough. His grace is enough, and his love is enough. And nobody is too far from him and outside of the reach of the loving God who came to love us and to serve us. John chapter 1 continues by saying this, and this is verse 14 and following. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as the only son of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness, Christ's fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through. Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is by the Father's side, has made him known. Father God, I pray now that as we look into your words, uh, that we see the nuggets of truth, that our hearts and minds are open to understand what these words mean for us today. Be with us now. In your name we pray. Amen. So looking at the first verse, and God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. I love the way it's put in the Message Bible, the message written by Eugene Peterson, who put yesterday's language into today, said, and Jesus became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. I love that. The idea that God, who was in the beginning, who made everything, and that's who our God is. We learned in week two and three that God is the creator. Jesus is God who is the creator that made everything. Everything that is was made by him. You were made by God. The trees were made by God. Our world, our planets, our universe were all made by him. And although God made everything, here we get smacked with this mind-blowing idea that the very God who made flesh put flesh on. And he entered into our world. He moved into our have you ever had a new neighbor move in down the street uh, and they drive in with that big semi-truck of goods? I remember as a kid wondering, I wonder if there are any kids that live in that new home and I wonder what kind of toys they have. Jesus moved into the neighborhood and with him came truckloads of grace, truckloads of truth, and plenty to share with whoever would come and receive it. The word of God is, the word, not, there's going to be times where it will get confusing, and I'm going to try to break it out today. We have the word of God, as in the Bible, and then we have the word God, which is Jesus. The word of God, the scriptures, that tells us about the word God, Jesus. 
that I just confused you with. It's okay. Some of you are like, yes. Some of you are like, no. Just track with me and we'll see if we can figure it out together. All right? We have been told that the word, all that is, all knowledge, all truth, was, was captured. It came from and makes up who God is. And that being God became us, became flesh. Before he became flesh, though, he made all that's been made. And he is the sustainer of all things. That word, God, is light that gives hope and shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. That word is light of men that brings hope to all humankind. And that word put on flesh. That word who made everything entered into our womb. The creator, the almighty, became an infant. Stepped down and into our mess and became one of us to reach us, to love us, to forgive us. That is the God we serve. The word dwelt comes from the idea of a tent. Anybody here know how to pitch a tent? In the Old Testament, the tent, the tabernacle, it was a portable place where God's presence would be in the midst of the chosen people, the Israelites. And God said, I will meet with you. There was a tent that was set up that was a tabernacle. In the middle of the tent, there was an inner tent called the Holy of Holies. And different individuals would go in and meet with God on behalf of the people. And God would be there, meeting with them in their midst. Jesus is that God who came down as a new temple, who took on flesh to dwell in our presence, to live among us, not a distant, removed God as deists believe that created the universe, wound it up, set it in motion, and went on about his business. But God said, these are my people, this is my creation, I love them, in them I am well pleased, and they need me. And he came to us, which, was, which were his own. The word became flesh, dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son from the Father, and he came with that truckload of grace and truth. And so he came into our midst. To let us know that no matter what darkness is in your life, he has come to, to conquer it. No matter what kind of sin struggles or habits that have uh, come up in your life and, and the sins that so easily entangle, he has come to shine his light in the darkness. Sin and death, conquered. Demons and Satan and the powers of evil, conquered. Secular powers, systems that seek their own will, conquered. Your own failures, Jesus came to be our light, to shine in the darkness, and to give us hope. And so many of us, we've been discipled by our world to have this scarcity mindset. Like, like the people sitting next to me, the people in this room, I'm sure many of them are much more deserving of God's grace than I am. If, if you only knew the kind of things that I've done, the habits I struggle with, the ways that, that I keep falling flat on my face, if you only knew that grace would not be available for you. I want you to circle in the next verse. I want you to circle the word all. Verse 16. And from his fullness, we have all received. There is nobody too far from God. 
no matter what you've done, no matter what struggle you're dealing with today, no matter what you're thinking about doing, even tonight, Jesus' love is for you. And his grace is available to all who would receive it. I want you to circle the word fullness. How much grace is available? The fullness of God's grace. God has a truckload of grace, and as soon as that first truckload is empty, guess what? Another truck pulls up. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Jesus is an inexhaustible well of grace. He is an inexhaustible well of love and forgiveness. And it is available to all. Do you get that? There is no room for a scarcity mindset when it comes to God. Jesus said, I come to give you abundant life. Life to the full. He comes to give us grace. In our life, we live in so many different circumstances and situations where we only get two or three chances. You know, be late to work too many times, and guess what? You no longer have a job. Be on a sports team and don't perform well enough. Guess what? Before long, you're on the bench. It isn't this way with God. Every time we fall on our face with God, guess what we meet? Grace. We meet God and his grace. He is there. It says a righteous man falls seven times, but God picks him back up. Fall eight times, you're out of luck. The number seven in the Bible is a number of perfection and completeness. You cannot fall too many times and God will not be there to still forgive you. I fall on my face daily. I fall on my face often. I have to learn to die to myself and to become more alive in Jesus. John said that. It is Jesus of whom I said, it is he that's come before me. He's better than I am because he came before me. I must increase that. I must decrease so that we have a God who, whose love knows no end, and his fullness is available to all who would receive it. John is arguing that the fullness of the gospel belongs to all of those who become sons and daughters. That the word makes sons and daughters by faith alone and grace alone. Last week we talked about, so if this is true, if it is available to all, then how do I get it? How do I get to experience the love and the forgiveness and the grace you're talking about. Become a child of God. John last week told us the way you become a child of God is that you attend church enough, you memorize the book of Leviticus, and you get rid of all sin in your life. Then you can become a child of God. Why are you laughing? So many times we think we have to perform a certain way in order to become God's child when he says that to all who believe in him, to those who to all who received him, who simply believed in his name, God gives them the right to become children of God. The book of Galatians says as soon as we become a child of God, we become fellow heirs with Christ. That all the blessings and riches of God, not to, not to put us on the wrong idea that, you know, if you get your life right with God, God's going to put a Ferrari in your front yard. I'm not saying that at all. And unfortunately, there is a prosperity gospel mindset that, that is, is seeping into our culture. That if I live right enough, if I give enough in the offering plate, if I memorize enough, 
then I'm going to get God's grace, God's riches, because I'm doing enough faith. That's not what the Bible says at all. Grace, somebody once said, is God's riches at Christ's expense. God's grace is not dependent on how many moral acts you pile up. And once you ding, 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 you've made it. My grace is now available to you. God's grace is available to you as soon as you believe. Now, I'm not talking about prosperity gospel or easy believism. I'm not saying that you can have all of your dreams and wishes and come true by believing in the genie that God is. It's not like that at all. Um, it's not like God changed his mind 30 years ago and said, uh, you know what, this old way isn't working. I want more people to follow me. So, hey, if you follow me, a billion dollars next year. Sickness, don't worry about sickness. You'll never be sick again if you have enough faith in me. You're not even going to need me if you believe in me enough. God never said that. And yet our culture, we are buying, we are buying into this mindset that if we perform well enough, we will be blessed. You know what happened to those who were faithful in the Bible? Jesus was crucified. Peter hung upside down, crucified like Christ. John, the guy who's writing the words we're reading, history tells us that they tried to kill him by boiling him to death, and somehow he survived. He was then put in uh, solitary confinement in prison on the Isle, Isle of Patmos. It did not go well for most believers of Jesus in the scriptures. And we have brothers and sisters around the world who believe with all that they are and with all that they can, and they are facing persecution, imprisonment, and death on a daily basis. You know what you get if you have enough faith to believe? Grace. God's presence in the midst of your storms. God doesn't heal you if you're faithful. Although God will supernaturally heal some. But I've met, I've met, I've had situations where there are two ladies in our church. One is cancer, both have cancer. One is healed, and the other is simply sustained by God's grace. God has the ability to heal some, but sometimes he says, you know, my grace is made perfect even in your weakness. And I will carry you through this storm. God's grace is even big enough to outlast our own personal failures. We can't outsin God's grace. So, should we just go on living life however we want? Sin can be fun. I wasn't the first to say it, but if it's not fun for you, then maybe you're not doing it right. Paul says, should we go on sinning? If what you're saying is true, and the more we sin, the more God gives grace, then why don't we go ahead and just live how we want to live? Paul says in Romans, the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. 
he goes on later to say, so then shall we sin all the more so that grace may abound? May it never be. What, God, what Paul is trying to get at the heart of here is that if we truly have become children of God, there is a transformation that happens with inside of us. At the moment, biologically, when a man and a woman get together, and we're PG, so I'll be careful. When a child is made in a mother's womb, as soon as the egg is impregnated, life begins. There is nothing that that child needs to do to will itself to be. It's simply, life just happens. In the same way spiritually, when we put our belief in Jesus as our Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to pierce our heart and enter our souls and begins a transforma transformational work inside of us, making us like the Father. And so at the moment of belief, you become a child of God, the Holy Spirit comes in, and the work of sanctification begins. We'll get into that in another, another teaching. But at that moment, God's grace and fullness is available to you. There's nothing you have to do to earn it. You just receive it. And if you have truly been transformed and become a child of God, then your heart will begin to change. My question to you is, if you don't desire to live a life pleasing to the Father, you may not have Him yet as a Father. If there isn't something inside of you that's broken when you do things that you know break the Father's heart, you may not yet have become one of His children. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty or sound judgmental, but there is something that changes in us at the moment of spiritual birth that makes us want to live for the God who created us. And yes, there is that daily struggle. Paul said it. The things that I know I shouldn't do, I keep doing. That flesh is drawing me. The things I know I should do, I don't always do. What hope is there for me? grace and truth to be with us in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our weakness, to be our strength when we cannot be strong. He comes full of grace and truth. So, some of you are like, you know, there is the grace part. Yes, God's forgiveness is available to all, but at some point, we have to live a life of truth. Jesus is grace and he is truth. He brings both. And so what do we do with the, the truth side of things? What is the point of the law? Verse 17. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And some I've heard some people say, you know, I like the God of the New Testament much better than the God of the Old Testament. They're the same God. Well, I like the God of grace. I, that law stuff, I'm so glad it's gone. In, in many ways, we see this. It's almost like the law and the grace 
they like collide and they're against each other. But that is not the case at all. God's law is actually a form of grace. Telling us how much we need His grace. The law I heard described by somebody years ago is like an MRI. How many of you have ever been in an MRI? I had to do it a couple times. Don't like it. Too small a hole, weird clicking sounds. Don't go well together, okay? But an MRI is amazing. You go in the MRI, and specialists and doctors are able to use the MRI to look inside us and see things that aren't quite right. They can pinpoint disease. They can pinpoint certain breaks. Tumors can be found. There are all kinds of things, and an MRI can show us all the places where things are wrong. And so you come out of the MRI, and the MRI has said, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. As soon as you come out, you're cured. Is that the way an MRI works? An MRI can do nothing to fix anything. It simply points out all that's wrong. And it's a beautiful thing. We don't curse the MRI saying, curse you, you judged me. You told me all the things that are wrong inside of me. It is a tool that is necessary for the doctor to be able to do what's right to cure you, to put the right things back together, to fix us. And that's what the law does for us. By God's grace, the law tells us how much we need a loving God in our life. So the law shows us our need for our Savior, and Jesus comes. The law diagnoses, and Jesus cures. So they work hand in hand with one another. The law on its own cannot fix us. The law was given by Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. The law, what are the laws? Somebody tell, there's 613 laws. I'm not going to quiz you on them because I couldn't even pass that test. But let's just go with the basic 10. You heard of the 10 commandments? How many of you heard of the 10 commandments? How many of you in this room think you could say all ten right now? Yeah, only two people raised their hand. Last thousand. All right, well, just give me one. Say it out loud. One, one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not kill. Steal. Love, love your God. No idols. Don't covet. Okay, so like one half of the commandments is all about our relationship with God. Those ten. And one half of the other is about our relationship with one another. God gives us the law not to be judging and condemning and to try and pin us into a restrictive way of life, but how to live life to the fullest, knowing how to love a God who made us and love one another in the process. And yet, if we boil it down to even just the ten, how many of us have a problem even just keeping those ten? Anybody here killed anyone recently? How about lied? We know we cannot. Somehow, there are religious people today even thinking they're spending their whole life trying to do all they can to appease God by obeying a set of commandments. The law is powerless to save us. The way it's said here in Romans chapter 8, verse 3 and 4 says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. God had to step in, not had to step in, it was always his plan. God, ha God has done 
what the law could not do because of our weak flesh. Why does the law not save us? Because we are too weak to follow. As soon as we see somebody else has a nicer car than we do, we want it. When Gary and I was born, our parents did not sit us down and say, okay, boys, here is how you fight. Nobody had to teach us that. It just came natural. Greed, selfishness. The word no is one of the first words most kids say. Nobody has to teach us. We are born broken. We are born with sin in our life. We're not going to get into it today as to why that's the case. It happened in the Garden of Eden, sin entered the world. But now all of us, for the wages of sin is death, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. There isn't a person in here who has not sinned. And every sinner needs grace. And every sinner. out sin God. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. How did he do it? What did God do? What was God's answer? Keep reading. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, although Jesus became flesh, he never sinned. The one who never sinned, then later on the cross, became our sin. Jesus God in flesh came into this world in the likeness of us. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. So we show up having a, a ticket in a court because we broke a law. Jesus steps in in front of the judge and says, although they sinned, although they broke the law, I'm here to pay that penalty for them. And the judge, done, gone, paid, paid in full. And Jesus says, as we go, go and sin no more. Jesus offers forgiveness to any who would receive it in order that the righteous requirement of the law, the law requires righteousness. And there was only one who lived a righteous life. He lived it in our place and then went to the cross in our place and took our sin upon himself so that his life could pay our debt. And it's made available free of charge to any who would simply believe. His fullness of grace in this world who think they can earn their way to God by some set of obeying some set of religious laws. There are even Christians who think that if I memorize enough, if I memorize the book of Leviticus, then somehow God will shine his favor on me. We write songs about him. We memorize scriptures about him. We tell others about him. When Jesus just says, that's all good and great, but dying to yourself 
letting me live in me and through me. We cannot become the children of God that God wants us to be by any amount of scripture reading. If that were true, then I could just say, I don't need any of you. I'm just going to take my Bible and go live for God and just read his word. It, it requires much more. The word of God is important because it points us to the word who is God. No amount of scripture memorization will change you. The only thing that will change you is gazing on the beauty of Jesus Christ and allowing the power and presence of his Holy Spirit to enter into us and to change us. How many of you have ever been in a sermon or in a teaching and you read something about the Bible and you made a promise to never do that again? Weeks later, making the same promise, okay, I'll never do it again. The next week, okay, God, I did it again. I'll never do it again. No amount of white-knuckled discipline on our own part will make us like Jesus. The only way that we can be made and conformed into the image of Christ is by dying to ourselves and being made alive in Him, allowing the Holy Spirit to infiltrate and take over every area of our life, pruning what needs to be pruned, bringing nourishment to we do this by spending time in his word, by spending time at his feet, by spending time in prayer, by spending time with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who together are journeying together and we're entering into God's presence, sitting at the feet of Jesus. First Corinthians 15 says, Paul said, I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received. That was in the past. At one point, you believed and you received the gospel, the good news that Jesus comes and he forgives you. There's nothing you can do to earn it. I want to remind you of that. All you had to do was believe. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in the past, in which you now stand, which is in the present and by which you are being saved. That is the present ongoing tense. We are still being saved, being made new by the same gospel that saved us and is making us new, is making us more like him as we put our faith and trust and belief in him. I could stand here all day and say, I believe that chair will hold me up if I sit down, but I'm not exercising faith until I actually sit in the chair. Many of us, oh, yeah, I believe there's a God. I believe there's a Jesus. But until we actually put our belief and yield our life, we're not exercising faith. Faith without works is what? Dead. We're called to walk in the truth, walk in the life that he calls us. And so, Verse 18, no one has ever seen God. What about Moses? He touched the hem of God's garment. What about all those Levites when they went in the temple and they would meet with God? What about Isaiah who had that vision? He went into God's presence and God was there. God throughout ages has manifested himself in different ways, but nobody has actually ever seen God. And yet inside of us, 
There's this longing, this knowledge to know who He is, to be drawn to Him, even those who do not yet know the name of Jesus. We are creation made by God, and we feel drawn to Him. Nobody has ever seen God. And so therefore, the only God who is at the Father's side, His name is Jesus, has made God known. After three years of living life on this earth, of healing the blind, uh, raising people from the dead, feeding crowds, crowds with a kid's lunchable. Philip comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, we've seen all these great things, but can you just show us the Father? And what is Jesus' response? Philip, how long have I been with you? How many things have you seen me do? So if we want to be transformed into the likeness of who God is, if we want to know the heartbeat of God's compassion and his will, all we have to do is gaze into Jesus. And that's what this study of John is going to do for us. We're going to see his love, his compassion, his truth, his forgiveness. My hope. Get rid of that scarcity mindset. You cannot outsin God. Today you can put your belief in Him, no matter what you've done. Jesus loves you. His forgiveness is here for you. Receive it today. And if you're here today and you're like, you know what, I'm good. I believe in the God, and yeah, there's Jesus, but you know what, my life's good. I don't really need Him because I'm a good person. The book of Isaiah tells us that our best, in the comparison to what God desires, our best is like filthy rags. We all fall short. We all have sinned. We all need a Savior who rescues us. Will you receive him today? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. that never fails. We thank you. God, I personally thank you for being there to pick me up every time I fall. Like Paul, I say there are things that I know I shouldn't do that I still do, and I need you to set me free. So God, one step at a time, I pray that you show us and you mold us and you make us into the children you've called us to be so that as we daily die to self, For those, God, who are here, who simply need to come to a point of saying, okay, I'm going to stop. I'm going to quit trying to earn God's favor on my own. Today, I just come as I am. I come today and I say, Jesus, I need you. I need your forgiveness. I'm trying to live this life on my own. I'm trying to somehow earn your favor. I need to die to that. And I need to simply believe in you. If you are 
are trying to earn God's favor by your own works, you will never get to heaven. But Jesus says, what I've done, I did for you. I did it already. All you have to do is believe in me and receive me. Confess that you need me and I will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Believe in your heart that I died for you and God and raised, I raised from the dead and call out to me as Lord and I will save you. You will become my child. If that's your prayer this morning, will you just raise your hand and say, I need that. I need to be a child of God. I admit I, I, I need his forgiveness. I need his salvation. I raise my hand right now saying, I believe in the God who can save me. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you that only in you we can find hope and peace. The second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, the seventh, and eighth chance. Thank you for your love, your mercy, your those who are receiving you right now. Father God, I also pray for myself and the others in this room who already know you as Savior. There are areas in our life that we still struggle with. There are areas in our life that we need to us, to sustain us, 